This is The Professor's Corner, a McGuire Woods series exploring business and legal issues prevalent in today's private equity industry. Tune in with McGuire Woods partner, Jeff Cockrell, as he and specialists share real-world insight to help enhance your knowledge. Thanks for joining. This is Jeff Cockrell bringing another edition of our Corner Series, where we talk with uh, dealmakers and practitioners around a number of issues that relate to private equity investing in healthcare. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by my partner, Holden Brooks, practices in the antitrust arena. And we're going to talk through some of the antitrust issues that can show up either in healthcare private equity transactions or in the operation of healthcare businesses. But Holden, maybe give a quick introduction of yourself and your practice. Sure, sure. So I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'm new to McGuire Woods, and I'm really thrilled to be part of the team. I am a partner in the antitrust group uh, based out of the Chicago office. I've been an antitrust lawyer my whole 20-year career and have done probably 75 to 90% of of my work in the healthcare space and and in particular in the healthcare provider space over the last 10 to 15 years. So this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. So Holden, in in, uh, healthcare transactions, Folks often think of antitrust as a a big kids problem, meaning uh, big companies, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars in value, and they need to think about antitrust stuff, but not small players. I know that's not true, but can you uh, talk through why that's not true and why everyone needs to be thinking about antitrust issues? Sure. I would say that the biggest risk right now for, for people entering into transactions is that they don't know what they don't know. Uh, and there's a lot of development. There's a lot of new development happening in the regulatory area around healthcare transactions, including, as you say, at the at the smaller transaction value level. And so there are a few sort of fronts to be watching. One of them is what's going on in the state that where your deal is happening, because there are increasingly state statutes that require a notification to the state AG for an antitrust review. So just for example, in Nevada and in Washington, in Connecticut, there are uh, state statutes that can catch smaller transactions. And those AG offices are really very sophisticated with respect to both healthcare and antitrust, and they will give things a, a serious look. The other thing is just that we have really robust federal enforcers in place right now. And they are really focused on healthcare. So if you go back to President Biden's executive order from the summer of 2021, he basically said to the Federal Trade Commission and DOJ, I want you to take a close look at healthcare. I think that this is an area where antitrust can make a big difference. And so I think they have generally taken that mandate very seriously. And although you're correct that only deals over a certain valuation threshold will be part of the HSR process, it does not mean that these federal enforcers don't have jurisdiction to look into whatever they want. And so I think you are going to see more of these small deals be scrutinized. Some of the sort of key leaves that people are reading on that front, there have been some recent guidance documents issued by the FTC and DOJ indicating that they know that roll-ups are happening in the healthcare space. So they are aware that there is consolidation within service lines, within geographic markets that's happening below the HSR threshold. And they've basically made very public statements about the fact that they intend to scrutinize those deals that 
pose the risk of competitive harm as they become aware of them. The other thing that's going on in that space, and this actually started under the Trump administration, is that the Federal Trade Commission is doing a retrospective analysis of what's happened in 15 states in connection with consolidation in the physician practice space and in terms of hospitals buying up physician practices and, and also hospital mergers. So they have uh, subpoena data from a bunch of different commercial payers. They're constructing a huge database that's going to enable them to look at the relationship between managed care rates and consolidation. And I think they are going to use that as a tool, as a justification for looking into and blocking more of these sort of small roll-up deals. I, I think about it two different kind of categories. There's like bad behavior, which we'll talk about in a little bit, where your the classic example of inclusion to price fix, but we'll talk about some other bad behavior topics. But then there's also the, the aspect of the government trying to thwart kind uh, of market concentration that can lead, can lead to monopolistic power and monopolistic behavior. So on the market concentration, aspect of it, because you're right, we, we see a lot of uh, consolidation where significant premise is moving into a particular market and, and buying things. So what are the levers for kind of policing that when you're below the HSR threshold, and how often do you see uh, the government, state, or federal intervening on those behaviors that involve market concentration? Well, I believe in spending a little bit of time at the pipeline stage to manage antitrust risk. I think that's a great, has great return on investment. So that's my first advice always, which is to be smart about your pipeline. And if you can create an acquisition strategy that does not involve consolidation in anything that would be a sort of plausible antitrust relevant market, then I think you can still harness the scale that we're going for in a lot of, for instance, physician practice transactions without incurring that antitrust risk, right? So that's one thing is just having a really basic understanding of how to use that lever, I think is the first step. The second step is really understanding when you're thinking about your business goals, even if you are acquiring businesses that are in the same plausible relevant market is, you know, number one, how can we create documents that give a clear picture of the pro-patient, pro-quality, pro-efficiency motivations behind this transaction instead of documents that feature forecasts of, of how much you're going to be able to raise commercial rates as a result of the transaction. I mean, that's, that's just the first thing that any enforcer is going to look at. And so I think that... And, and, and maybe to stop there for one second, so combining those ideas of looking at your pipeline and kind of the paper trail is the idea that even in transactions that are below the HSL threshold, because if you're above the HSL threshold, you can be asked for those documents that are relating to kind of what was the rationale for the deal, what were the communications amongst the parties as it relates to the rationale. Is the thought that folks that are involved in consolidation should approach even transactions that are much smaller, they could be looking at them through the same filter that the government would be looking at them if they're above the HSR line. Is that is that kind of the thesis? A hundred percent. That is a hundred percent. So I am aware of even state investigations of consolidation within a particular service line within a particular area. 
And those civil investigative demands, that's sort of a, you know, the the lingo for sort of the subpoena type document that you would get are incredibly broad. And they will look at not only at those key documents, they have the right to ask for whatever they want to and including text messages and other information on personal devices, et cetera. So I think you're exactly correct that people in small deals should be proceeding as if their communications about that transaction could be subject to review. I think there's a tendency to view that as an above the HSR line topic. And the the reality is that, especially if you're looking at consolidation in a particular market, uh, you need to be looking at that at below the HSR line as well. Maybe changing gears a little bit, you and I have talked a bit about uh, some criminal aspects of uh, antitrust. Can you uh, talk a little bit about how the enforcement posture has changed and then delve into some of the behavior that can connect to that kind of criminal sanction? Sure. This is really something that I think is really important for people to understand in the provider sector because for many years, for decades, there was no criminal antitrust enforcement against healthcare providers. And just in the last two and a half years or so, we've seen multiple criminal uh, cases brought against individual healthcare providers and the corporate entities as well. Really significant civil follow-on cases as well. So the kind of conduct that they will go after in the on the provider side are very similar to what they'll go after in the other industries that have typically been targeted by criminal enforcement. So one of them is price fixing. That's where you are agreeing on the rates that you're going to charge in the provider context. Obviously, that's the, the rates that you're going to charge to commercial payers. One of them also would be market allocation. That's where you're saying, hey, I'm not going to go into this service line if you don't go into this service line and therefore we'll have a, a, a neat little monopoly in that area or dividing the market by geography, dividing the market by drugs, a certain type of drug that you'll administer or a certain type of equipment that you will or won't operate, et cetera. So I think there are a lot of ways that that providers can get in trouble in that market allocation area because I think there's always a sense that they're professionals, that they have their own, uh, that, that making decisions about who's going to do what is part of practicing medicine in a collaborative way. But the antitrust division really is looking at that as uh, in the same way they would in any other industry where there's an effort to reach agreement about how you're going to compete or not compete. On the idea of these kind of collusion type premises that I I kind of envision a, a smoke-filled room uh, where people are conspiring very, very specifically of uh, whether it's uh, price fixing or market division. Is it always that specific or can folks um, wander into uh, the arena of that kind of exposure with kind of conduct that carries that inference, even if the behavior doesn't feel quite as sinister as I would imagine? To be honest with you, one of the worst moments of my career is sitting across a table from someone who who did something they had no idea was uh, going to subject them to criminal liability, saying, if I had known it was illegal, I never would have done it. I mean, I think that's what we're seeing in healthcare right now, is that people believe that they are pursuing strategies that just make sense, that seem to have a business justification from their point of view. Maybe they're aware of other people in their uh, professional community who are doing the same thing. And so they go they go forward with it. And in fact, it's something that will be taken very seriously by the enforcers. So 
this is why I really, I really do feel that just a little bit of education is really important to have right now in healthcare about just the contours of the antitrust laws and being able to demonstrate that you at least made a good faith effort to understand what the the guardrails are. And so from the perspective of uh, either an investor or a provider business, what is the best way to go about uh, sensitizing your people to these sorts of topics? Well, I think if you're an investor, it should become a new subsection of your due diligence list, number one is to understand where some of this conduct that people might not have realized was illegal um, has been going on. So one of them is to, on the, on, the, on the buyer side, is just to understand where that risk might lie in, in a target a target business. But if you're operating the, the business, there, it's, it's really very easy to set up and maintain a pretty simple antitrust compliance program. It usually involves getting a policy in place, adding a policy to your, to your deck, of policies, and then having some training, some some pretty light training at the leadership level. And then I also recommend it one step below the leadership level for really key areas in a provider business. So managed care, procurement, HR, marketing, business development. And you know, for a lot of clients, I even do it for the physicians as well, because particularly where you have entrepreneurial practices, where the physicians are out and they're in the community and they are business-minded, et cetera, they are your business development team uh, or an arm of it that also needs to understand the contours of the antitrust law. So it can be done for not very much money, not very much time, and it would have, again, a huge return on investment to be able to avoid that liability. And I would add, as a a deal guy myself, uh, it's often sensitizing the deal professionals at private equity funds to not you know, walk themselves into either footfalls or bad paper trails of uh, being mindful, uh, as we talked about before, that the things that you say uh, can be, someone else is going to look at it at some point, potentially, and they may be approaching it from a, a different perspective and view it darkly or sinisterly. So being careful about uh, what we talk about uh, and to not create a, a one-sided and negative uh, paper trail and then be careful about what you see and have access to. Um, on a bigger deal, uh, often the, the folks are very sensitized to not getting access to uh, if it's an acquisition in the same market, you're not getting access to payer uh, contracts. Uh, so that can raise the inference if the deal doesn't go through, that you're using that information for anti-competitive purposes. But on smaller deals, people are often careful about those things. So. I think it's uh, a training both as you're, you're mentioning from a compliance process perspective, but also making sure that deal people that are up and doing these things before they've had any conversations with uh, clinical, uh, just sensitize them to the areas where they can get in trouble. Exactly. Because I think, and I think the way to sell that to your business teams is that they are going to save an immense amount of time and an immense amount of money by being smart about antitrust upfront. Because when you do have, you know, unfortunately, one of these unintentional footfalls or whatever, there's a bad document, there's something that gives rise to an inference of something improper, it can really delay your deal by months and can, you know, cost a tremendous amount in legal fees while a regulator investigates that conduct. And so being able to avoid those sideshows is really very important just from a 
a timetable point of view and um, just a getting the deal done point of view. Well, Holden, I want to thank you for uh, joining us for this episode. These are super interesting topics and important ones that come up in deals and in managing healthcare companies all the time. But thanks again for uh, joining us for this episode of uh, Corner City. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Professor's Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.